For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, guest speaker Pastor Josh Black takes us through John chapter 13 with a message entitled, Servant of All. Well, once again, good morning everybody. I wanted to give you a few extra seconds to, to discontinue talking, but you know, if you give you guys an inch and you'll take a mile when it comes to fellowship time. So, so blessed to be able to see you guys connecting. want to welcome you back to your seats as you're coming back. It's my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker from this morning. He is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Canyon Hills down in Southern California, Lake Elsinore, Menifee area, and he and he pastors and lives down close to the Bible College, and he happens to also be a teacher there at Calvary Chapel Bible College. I had um, the opportunity to take and sit in on a couple of his classes, um, and so we kind of became friends during the semester. We also went... Uh, to uh, Utah for a missions trip. That's where he's originally from. And so we, we had the opportunity to go there and uh, encourage the church, the church um, at different locations, different local churches, um, because they're kind of the minority there in the Mormon community. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you guys our speaker this morning, Pastor Josh Black. Good morning, everyone. Jesus is amazing. Amen? Yeah. So good to be here. I've been looking forward to my visit up here uh, for quite some time. You know, as Adam said, um, pastoring down in Southern California, uh, everything's great. Um, everything's brown. It's a lot prettier up here for sure. You know, I'm not from Southern California. I never saw myself there. I was born in Jackson, Wyoming, lived in Wyoming, Colorado, Utah. So coming up here, I've never been this far north of, of San Francisco. So like driving around, I'm like itching to get on a dirt road and like check out the area, you know? It's, it's really, really beautiful here. I'm sure, I'm sure that you know that. But um, yeah, and, and then uh, I, I have a, a good friend, probably my best friend. He was uh, one of my assistant pastors for some time. He's planting a church at Calvary Chapel down in Walnut Creek. If you know that area, so that's, I've been that way, so San Francisco there, but haven't ventured um, up this far, so it's, it's nice to be with you guys. Um, I, I just, I, I have to encourage you too, before we get into the word, like this church is so rad. Like the, you guys are so cool, and, and you know a church is great by its love. And um, ever since I've, I've come here, from Adam hosting to um, the people who hosted me um, last night, stepping on campus here, you guys are great. You're so full of love, so full of grace, so full of kindness. Whoever makes the breakfast burritos, you are a blessing to this church. <laughs> Amen? It's like good coffee is just, you guys are full of love. Like God is doing a great work by his spirit. You need to hear it from an outsider's perspective. If I lived here, I would come to church here. So you're in a good house. God's doing a great work here. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So um, we are going to be in John chapter 13 this morning. If you'd like to open up your Bible or your iPad or your phone or whatever you have, John chapter 13. And while you're finding yourself there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your love, your grace, free salvation, 
that we cannot work for or earn. Jesus, you did it all. You paid it all. Lord, we're so thankful that you went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to offer us an eternal, endless hope that we will be face-to-face with you one day in glory, in joy, in your presence. It's so awesome, God. And it's because you bled every last drop from your body. You went to the cross. The just one died for the unjust ones. Lord, I pray that if there happens to be anyone here this morning who has not yet met you, I pray that today you would like stink and rock their worlds with your grace, with your love, that you would just blast them with a dose of reality of who you are, that they would just, nobody would walk out of here not knowing that Jesus, you are real, you're alive, you're the king of kings and that you're coming back soon. So Lord, do a work in people's hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We need you. We need you so much. Oh, we need you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray just for a fresh baptism with your spirit that you would fall afresh in a, in a real way to overflowing in our spirit, in our soul. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what we need to hear from you this morning. We pray that you would do a work that, that is just amazing, that you would speak deeper than, than I as a man could ever speak. Lord, I pray that everyone's ears would be on you this morning. And Lord, you would speak personally and precisely to each person here because there's, there's so many different people here, Lord. There's so many different needs and hurts and wounds and needs and anxieties and stresses. And God, I pray that you would speak to every single heart here exactly what they need to hear from you. If there's someone who's broken that needs healed, do that work today. If there is someone who needs encouraged and just really needs to be built up and loved on, do that work. And if there's someone here who needs to be stirred and prodded and poked and convicted, then convict, Lord. We just want to open up our spirit. We want to expose who we really are to you, that you would just come and blast us and hit our hearts with your light, with your truth, with your love, that we would leave this place just a little bit more changed, having heard from you, having seen you. It's what we want. So Holy Spirit, come. We need you. We need you. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, and we say together as a big family, amen. Amen. Wouldn't you guys agree that the most liked and respected people are those who love to serve rather than those who love to be served. So true. My wife, Mackenzie, is an amazing servant. She serves like crazy, nonstop. And she's also a wonderful mother. We have two boys. Josiah is four years old. Gage is two years old. And... My wife's schedule has just been crazy busy lately, more so than usual, more tense, a little bit more stressful. And a few weeks ago, about a month ago now, the boys both went to bed super early, which is an amazing on our house because our boys are horrible sleepers. So when they go to bed early, it's nice. We, we can have time together. So we basically had a date night on our couch. You know those nights? You just wear your jammies, comfy clothes, some hot chocolate, a little bit of ice cream. And we just spent the evening talking, laughing. It was just really, really great. And at about midnight, she finally says, like, I am 
so exhausted. I'm so tired. I would love to stay up, but, but I, 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 gotta, I gotta go to sleep. The boys are gonna get up super early. I just need to take a hot shower and I need to get in bed. And you know what? I knew it had been a stressful time for her. I knew that she'd hardly gotten any sleep for days. The boys had just been uh, getting over being sick. I knew she needed a good night's sleep. But then, right at about that time, our youngest son, Gage, wakes up crying. And when he wakes up crying in the middle of the night like that, we know it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long night. And so that's the scene. That's what's going on. So what do I do? How do I react to that moment? Being the mature, spiritual, godly pastor that I am, I go, oh, baby, me too. So tired. I even, I put my head back on the couch and I just like, oh, like I just, like my life was just like, oh, I'm exhausted and I'm spent. I've had a busy week and everything. And and then I said these words, ladies, I said these words. I said, sweetheart, I know how you feel. Now see all the ladies know, the guys are like, what's wrong with that? Well, ladies, you know, that was not a good thing to say. And so my wife doesn't say a word. She can't speak because she can't believe what's coming out of my mouth. And she just gives me a look, and I know she's giving me the look, so I just look away, like. (laughs) Silence. And the tension starts mounting in the room. I cocked my head over, and my eyes are kind of closed. And so, without a word... She gets up, walks up the stairs, and begins to take care of our toddler while I stay sitting on the couch. And at that moment, I was more interested in being served than being a servant. Because the ruling impulse in my flesh nature is to be comfortable, and I really like to be served. Now, after about two minutes of the Holy Spirit saying, Josh, you're such a jerk, you know, like the guilt is too much, I can't take it anymore, I get up, I walk up the stairs, and I walk up to her, and I said, sweetheart, I'm sorry, I'll take care of him, I will put him back to sleep, and you know what, I'm going to get up early with the boys tomorrow so that you can sleep, I will take care of it, don't worry about it. And she lights up, and she goes, really? You're just like Jesus. No, she didn't say that at all. <laughs> she didn't say that, but she was probably thinking it. No, she was probably thinking that. She takes a quick shower. She hops into bed. And as I am sitting there with my cranky, fussy toddler, putting him back to sleep, I get this overwhelming sense of joy in my heart that comes from serving my wife. But here's the question. Why couldn't I have just done that in the first place? At the first impulse, when I saw the need, why couldn't I have just got up and taken care of it? Now, I'm not the only one who does things like this, am I? I mean, can, we get, can I get real with you this morning? I think we do these things all the time. 
And all of our little selfish failures make it evident that we would rather be served than be a servant. And yet, we know it, and we admire it, we see it. The most well-loved people are those who love to serve rather than those who are always seeking to be served. We look up to and we respect those who give and give themselves for others. We admire people when we see that, oh, those people serve much more so than the average person, and yet it's hard to do it ourselves. So why is it so hard to be what we want everyone else to be? Why is it so hard to be a servant even though we love people who are? As we get into John chapter 13 today, I wanna think about this with you as we go through this passage. John chapter 13, verse one, would you read with me? It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the context is it says, it's the Passover day. Jerusalem was swelled with millions of people. It was one of the major feasts. During that entire day, Josephus the historian tells us that thousands of lambs had been slaughtered up on the Temple Mount by the priests. And so the, the smell of lamb's blood was filling the air and Jesus as he smelt it and he, as he looked around, it, it definitely would have reminded him what was about to happen. This is the night before his crucifixion. And remember that the Jewish day begins at sundown. So 12 a.m. means nothing to them. The new day starts at sundown. So when Jesus sat down to eat this Passover meal, a new day had just begun, which means he was crucified on the very same day. In fact, he was crucified about 12 to 13 hours after this meal, this famous meal where he institutes communion and all to his fellows. And John chapters 13 through 17 covers this entire evening. We don't see the Bible give this many details about any other evening, not like this one. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they mention it, but no one gives the details like John does. And the reason why these chapters are so special is because it's Christ's private ministry behind closed doors. Jesus is no longer ministering to the public masses. These chapters are for his disciples. These chapters were for the 12. These chapters are for you and they're for me. In verse one, it says, Jesus knew his hour had come. Now Jesus had kept alluding to this coming hour, but now it was here and he was going to leave them by dying on the cross. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Everyone say, the end. Amen. That word in the Greek means to the uttermost. And the cross is the uttermost, amen? The extent of God's love is to go to the cross for us. There's not a farther reaching love than that anywhere. And guys, one of the reasons why we respect Jesus so much is because he's the greatest servant who's ever lived. That's one of the reasons why Jesus is so appealing. He rules the universe and he's the king over everything. And yet his heart is the humblest and lowliest 
of all. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. If you want to be great in the kingdom's eyes, then you must want to be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look at verses two through five with me. It says, when supper ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, it was the job of the lowest servant to wash feet. In that day, in many cultures, it was considered to be a job for only slaves. That if you were not a slave, you, you couldn't even, you weren't allowed to wash feet. It was the lowest, grimiest thing that you could possibly do because, I mean, people had nasty feet. I mean, people got nasty feet today too, but it was really gnarly back then, you know? You wore sandals and there's, there's no place where you can just go and get, get your feet taken care of. And so Jesus willingly places himself in this position and he begins to wash these dudes' nasty, dirt under the toenails, filthy bunion feet. <laughs> now, John's gospel doesn't share this, but Luke tells us during this same meal, a dispute came up over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's as the disciples in their heart are seeking greatness for themselves, as they're thinking about what's the ladder attached to this thing called following Jesus? What am I gonna get out of it? There's a good chance during that conversation, that's when Jesus gets up to wash their feet in the midst of that discussion. Verse six, then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said, what I am doing you don't understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Everyone say never. never. It's probably not a good idea to tell Jesus never. <laughs> Peter does. Jesus says to him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? So he says, you know, he who is bathed already only needs to wash his feet. And what he is talking about is this. In Jerusalem... You know, Pastor Ross is in Jerusalem now, and when he and the group go to the Temple Mount area, he will see the excavations of the hundreds and hundreds of mikvahs that surround the Temple Mount. A mikvah is basically a baptismal. You see, 
in order to go to the Temple Mount, you had to be ceremonially cleansed. And so they would go and dip themselves in water all throughout the week. And so there's just hundreds of them that date all the way back to the time of King Solomon and King David. And uh, it's a really cool thing to see. And so the disciples and Jesus would have been doing this all week. So for, you know, the standards of 2,000 years ago, they were pretty clean. But he says, your, your feet are still dirty. Because even though they'd wash their hair and everything, you know, you still walk around in the world and, and in the dirt and your feet still get gross. So he's saying, you know, you are clean. And the spiritual analogy is, my word has cleansed you. But get the picture. You're still going to have to walk around in this world. And as you walk, you're going to get a little filthy. And you need to get washed. You need to keep coming back to me to get washed. You've already been cleansed salvifically and eternally, but you got to keep being washed. Get your feet washed off because, I mean, you got some coworkers, don't you? You got some classmates. You got some family members. You got some neighbors. You love them, but you're placed in some situations where ungodliness is just around you. And you got to keep coming back. You got to keep getting cleansed. And so that's what he's that's what he's talking to them about. And then, and then when he sits down, he, he says, do you guys know what I've just done? And, and, and I think at this moment, as the disciples see what Jesus is doing, and as they hear what he's saying, it begins to dawn on them, okay, Jesus has been a little different this last week, but something strange is going on tonight. We, we've never quite seen Jesus act this way. We've never quite seen this kind of a look in his eye. We, we've never quite heard this tone come out of his mouth. It's, it's as almost as if Jesus knows something big is about to happen. And they start to tune up. They know this is a unique situation. In verse 13, Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So here's what he wants them to realize. Jesus washes them and then he tells them to be like him. And so he doesn't tell them to be like him and then wash them. He serves them first and then tells them to be servants. And by doing this, Jesus paints this amazing picture of salvation and Christian growth. You see, when we got saved, we were washed by Jesus. Amen? When we get saved, God literally enters inside of us. He literally invades us and he recreates our hearts. It's now created in Christ's image, which means that his nature is within us. It dwells in us. And if his nature is now in us, it means, and don't miss this, please don't miss this today, we have been recreated to be one thing. We have been saved, we have been recreated to be like Jesus. And who is he? He is a sacrificial servant. That's who he is. Jesus came down to this earth to be a slave, to serve people. 
And when you become a Christian, his nature with his desires and his impulses begin to grow and they begin to work inside of you. And as you serve, that becomes the proof that Christ has entered your heart. Love is the ultimate proof that somebody is a Christian. And it's easy for us to define what we want love to look like. But God has defined it because Jesus lived it. Jesus defined love as being sacrificial service. There are different kinds of love in the world and those kinds of love will fail. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it says agape love never fails. When agape love is in a marriage, it will never fail. If agape love is in a friendship, if it's in a church, that church won't fail. If it's in you, you won't fail in life. Agape love will help you outdo yourself. Doesn't that sound great? God can help me outdo whatever I can do. And so if we know all this, why is it still so hard to serve? Why do we have so many issues with it? I mean, all of us, all of us would rather be served than serve. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we would rather do that. I'll even prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Think of the way American restaurants work. When you go to a restaurant, if your server serves you well, you'll tip them more money. This is how much Americans like to be served. You are totally willing to pay extra money from your bank account in order to get good service. Because that's how much we like to be served. And sometimes we go to a restaurant and we act like we're the king of the place or something. Like we are so entitled. We sit down and where, where is she? You know, she should have been here by now. And I need my drink refilled. And where'd she go? And everything. And and it's like, I'm not going to tip, I'm not going to tip her that much. And then your wife's like, oh, sweetheart, what would Jesus do? <laughs> Got a tip. And so I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> we like to be served. And then you go to Europe and you really trip out because there are no tips. There is no customer service. So you're like, where's my server? She or he's been gone for 20 minutes and I need a refill because the glasses are about this big, you know? <laughs> That'll really trip you out. So guys, if Jesus has given us a new heart with desires to be a servant, then why aren't we jumping to be the first in line to be a blessing for the benefit of other people? Well, remember this. Remember this. In the beginning... When God created man in his own image, he created us to be sacrificial givers because we were created to be like him. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the image of God within us became marred. And over time, the image of God within humanity has become extremely tainted. If you want to know why the world is the way it is in 2016 and the way why human behavior is the way it is, it's all because the image of God is messed up and jacked up inside of our hearts. We don't see God rightly, so we don't live rightly. A part of salvation is, is God saves you and he begins to work on you to where the image of God 
becomes corrected in the way you think of him. You know, you, you think differently now that you're saved. Do you remember the way you used to think? You used to have some twisted thoughts about stuff. I did, about moral things, social things. And I, I had reasons of why I thought I believed the way I did, but then I read the Bible and God says, I think differently. And so it teaches us to think with God on his terms and it's so healthy. And, and the image of who he is gets, gets corrected and, and it's, it's wonderful. But because sin has entered into the world, instead of us being sacrificial givers, we've become greedy, selfish takers. And guys, our flesh nature, each of us, we're prone towards being selfish in every area of our lives, uh, socially and relationally, sexually, financially, you name it, in all areas of our life, without the inward washing of Jesus, we are greedy takers in all of these areas. And that keeps us from serving people. It keeps us from reaching our full potential. It makes us takers. And you know what's so sad is that becomes the normal routine and story for so many people's lives. But when the gospel comes into us, we're washed. Jesus puts his nature into us. And so now you have two coexisting natures within you that are at war with one another. Your old nature and your new nature. And although your old nature wants to be served, the spirit of God is at work within you now, giving you new impulses, the desire to give and serve and the desire to be like Jesus in the way you sacrifice yourself for others. And as you continue to follow Jesus daily, your story begins to change. The routine of your life begins to be altered in, in the greatest way possible. And guys, the reason why I'm speaking about this to you guys today, because this is, this is what is in my heart right now. This is what God has been doing in my life. I, I, had a, I had a moment about three weeks ago where I was really rebuked by Jesus. I heard him clearly. He said to me, he said, Josh, you have become too good at ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. And it horrified me. It was tragic to me that I got so caught up in ministry and doing all these things that I realized it is so easy to ignore those little impulses of the Holy Spirit throughout your day. And it, it scared me so much. And I realized what had, what had been happening as God was confronting me. You know, I'm reading the word and he's just blasting me. And, you know, I mean, I dare you, try to read the Bible for 15 minutes and try not being confronted by God. <laughs> he will confront you within the first five minutes in a good way. Because with his confrontation comes his mercy and his grace and his, his comforts, you know. But he's just blasting my heart. And he said something else to me. You know, because, you know, the church is just, growing like crazy right now, and I'm just doing all I can to try to keep up with it. And so I, I just got too preoccupied with it on accident. You know, you're doing all these great things in ministry, and, and, and that same evening when, when Jesus is confronting me, he tells me, and he says, you're, you're spending way too much time with my bride. You need to go hang out with your own bride. And it hurt. And I realized it, and I realized my wife is not getting the attention 
the love that she needs, that she deserves. So many thoughts from the church coming to my head where I was forgetting things that my wife was telling me. And I just, I repented before the Lord and to my wife and I made some radical changes to my schedule. Radical, because I'm like, Lord, you're right. The church is yours. You got it. I need to take care of my family. And so, you know, to be a doer of the word, that's what I had to do. And so now I'm the first person to wake up every single morning. I'm the one that takes Josiah to preschool. I let her sleep and I just had to change some of these things. And I changed my weekly schedule at the office and everything to put what needs to be first first because I was being a bad husband. As I look back now, as, as I, I have these fresh thoughts about how to live, I, I look back and I was like, man, I'm so sorry to my, my wife that I, that I was doing this. And like I said, it was an accident. You, know, you don't mean to do these types of things, but I was being so selfish and preoccupied with what I had going on. And in Philippians chapter two, I'll put it this way to you. It says there that we need to work out what God is working in. Our responsibility is to work it out. God is faithful to work it in because God speaks to people Scene by scene, hour by hour, all throughout the day to people who are really listening. You know, there's some people who are like, I have not heard God in six months. It's like, well, you ain't listening. <laughs> because when you learn to dial in and tap into the spiritual dimension of reality, you know, you know the old school radios that, like, it's not digital, but you had to, like, turn with your hand and, like, you put the foil on the antenna. <laughs> and it's like, you're, you're like, you get it just right. And then you take your hand off and it goes, and you're just like, okay. And, and finally, you, you, you take your hand off and you get the right station. That's a lot what prayer is like to me. That's a lot what really listening to the Lord is like. I, I have to dial in. I have to tune in. I have to get good frequency. But the truth is, God, God speaks all day long. It's just easy to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit because what animal is the Holy Spirit likened to? Anyone? A dove. The coo of a dove is very easy to miss in this concrete jungle we've built with all the noise. It's very easy to miss. And that's what was happening to me in my home. I was missing all these impulses and initiations that he had for me because he speaks all the time. God is the great initiator. I mean, who spoke first? God or Abraham? God or Noah? God or Moses? God or Paul? God is always the one coming in. He's always revealing his will. And it's like, you don't have to set out on this ambitious quest to discover God's will for your life. It comes to your front door. Just my problem is, am I listening and am I wanting it? Because his will is for me to be a servant. And you will never know what God wants you to do in life until you become who he wants you to be. And he wants us to be like Jesus. When we become like Jesus, we'll end up doing whatever he wants to do. That's the easy part. So I have to work out what he works in. Does this speak to anyone here today? Husbands in your home, you know what I'm talking about? Wives just, he works these things in. It's like Gage walks by with a poopy diaper. I smelt it first. Okay, you let me know. You worked it in. I mean, 
Hasn't God worked things into you before? It was in you. It was real. You were thinking about it. It was in you. You were even maybe praying about it, but you didn't work it out. I I was frightened by the thought of, if I continue to disobey these little impulses, what will be the sum total of my life when all those missed opportunities are done? I didn't want that. So God's been doing this work in in my life. So when I prayed about what to share, it was like, oh, it's easy. I'll just talk about what, how dumb I've been and what God's doing in me, you know? <laughs> now, the good news is that Jesus fully expects his new nature inside of you is going to win out in the end. Look at how he states it so matter-of-factly in verses uh, 13 through 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And so there's no begging, there's no lengthy appeal. Jesus is so secure in the package he has to offer to us, he doesn't need to beg. He, He knows what he's got to offer, and he knows there's nothing else worth us following, you know? In verses 16 and 17, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. In verse 17, Jesus says something that can revolutionize your life. This can be revolutionary for you, I promise. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Everyone say, do them. He promises blessing. Now, this is a conditional blessing. Many things we get from God are free and unconditional. This is conditional. It says, if you do them, you will be blessed. The word blessed means happy. Happy. Happy are they who don't just know these things, but they do these things. And guys, let me tell you something I've seen with my own two eyes. I've seen miserable, not blessed, unhappy Christians And they're the ones who know the word, but don't do it. And I'll be the first to admit, I've slipped into seasons of this in my own life. But something changes in your life. Something supernatural, something real happens. The happiness of God himself is poured into your life when you do what Jesus says. The challenge is that it's hard for us sometimes to really believe God's happiness will be experienced by us giving our lives for other people. But think about it. The funnest, happiest people who attract so many friends around their lives, they're the givers. They're the ones who serve others. God's happiness is reserved for servants. In fact, the first miracle Jesus ever did, the only people who knew about it were the servants hanging out in the back. The servants saw the work of God. The servants knew of the reality. The other people were just like, where'd this come from? I don't know what happened. And the next day, it didn't mean much. But to the servants, they were blown away. Their world was rocked and changed forever. Happiness is something that originates from God's own heart. You know, God is not some mean, crusty, grumpy guy in the sky. No one knows how to party like God. No one laughs like God. No one knows how to have fun like God. I mean, when we get to heaven altogether, the first thing he does is he throws a party for us. 
Let's party, guys. He laughs. He loves. That's who he is. There's no one happier than God because he's the greatest servant of all. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And it's okay to, to receive. And it's okay to be served. I mean, I feel like my whole experience up here with you guys is people being so nice and kind and serving. And, and, and that's great. And you receive it graciously, but it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen? So then what's the bottom line to all of this? I mean, what can we take today from this story? Should we have regular foot washing ceremonies now? Because I ain't washing your feet. I mean, I'll do things for you, but I don't expect you to wash mine either. I got some snaggle toe. On. I don't want you to wash my feet. So here's the lesson, okay? Here's the lesson. Listen to this. The disciples had all sat down already when Jesus rose up to wash their feet, which means none of them were willing to do it. It was something that was beneath all of them to do. So what does that look like for you? What are the things in your life that you tend to think are beneath you? How do you respond to this? How do you respond to what Christ is saying as his follower? What is hard for you to do? What is beneath you? Is it showing up early? Is it staying late? Is it children's ministry? Is it washing dishes at home, putting away chairs, putting the toddler back to sleep? I mean, what is it for you? Because whatever it is, I promise you it is not beneath Jesus to do because he's a servant in his heart. And these kinds of thoughts is what concerned Jesus the night before he was crucified. So how can you be a better servant? Here, how can you help to beautify Christ's bride at church by serving it? What can you do in your own home, fellas or ladies? Do something today. Be a doer of the word. If you're married, think be creative, be intentional, be thoughtful. How can you bless your spouse today? Don't wait for tomorrow. This message is not for tomorrow. This is today. If you live with your parents, serve them today. What can you do? If you live with roommates, what can you do? You serve them today. If you have siblings, that's right. You might say, oh, don't go there, Josh. You don't know my brother or my sister. Well, I don't care. You, what can you do to serve them today? Listen to the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Don't become good at ignoring those little hourly impulses of the Spirit because when you listen, that is what it really means to be led by the Spirit. Daily, scene by scene, open ear, ready to give your life sacrificially for other people. And as you do, you will become that person that you really want to become. The best version of you, that person everyone loves and everyone is drawn to because you're seeking to serve instead of just seeking to be served. And if we all do this together collectively, one day when we stand face to face before Jesus and he looks us right in the eyes, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter into the joy of your Lord. That is the ambition of my life. Nothing else matters as much as that. I want him to say that to me so much, and I don't want him to fake it like I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna be nice to this guy because I feel bad for him. Like, I don't want him to lie to me. Don't you wanna hear him say you are a faithful servant? If that's the ambition and the goal of your life, say amen. amen. Awesome. As we start to transition to, to worship, you know, I don't know everyone here, so there might be some of you who don't know Jesus. I don't know, maybe this is some of your first, maybe your first time at church ever. And you just need to know really quickly that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. But his love alone isn't what's gonna get you to heaven. Because if that were the case, everyone would go to heaven because God loves everyone. You see, God is not only loving, but he is also perfectly just. And the justice within him means that he will not overlook sin. He must judge it. And so God has this dilemma. He must judge sin, but he loves people. The solution was he became a man and paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus came and put an end to your sins without putting an end to you. And on the cross, his body was like a giant bucket. And into the bucket was poured all of the filth and the sin and the guilt of the world. And the cross of Jesus Christ is an invitation from God to you. And there is no other way to get to heaven other than through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It is a narrow way. But I promise you, it's the only thing you'll ever need. The cross is the door to heaven. And you must come to the cross you must come to Jesus on the cross because it wasn't until he got to the cross that he said, Father, forgive them. And he will take your sins. He will take your failures. He will take your mistakes. He will take the pain that's been caused by other people's sins towards you. He will heal you. He will take away loneliness, fear, the fear of dying. He will take it. And only Jesus will give you satisfaction and a fulfilled heart. The rest of you who know this, say amen. amen. All of these others, they know this. So if you need to get right with God today, I just want to pray for you really quick, just really quick. So would you close your eyes with me? Father, I, I just pray if there's anyone here who needs to get right with you, God, that you would begin to tap on their heart right now. Jesus, would you please come and tell them there's no other way but through the cross. Lord, if there's others here who, you know, they have responded to you, Jesus, and they do have love in their hearts, but they're not living for you. They're not walking with you. Lord, if that is someone here, a backslidden Christian, a Christian sitting on the fence, one foot in the church and one foot in the world, that's a miserable way to live. If you need to get right with Christ, come back to him today and don't wait for tomorrow. If that's anyone here, I just encourage you, as you sit in your chair, just you don't have to say anything out loud, but in your heart, just say, Jesus, forgive me. Tell him, say, Jesus, wash me. Take away my sins. Tell him and say, I surrender to you. Tell him, I believe in you. Tell him this. Tell him this in your heart. Tell him, I believe you rose from the dead and that you're alive today. 
and ask him, say, Jesus, please come into my heart and prove your reality to me. And I promise you he will. I promise you he will. Ask him and say, fill me with your peace, Jesus. Tell him that you want to follow him, that you want to be in heaven with him forever, that you're willing to let go of sin. You're going to let go of this world, that you're turning away from the world and you're turning to Jesus. Tell him you're ready to do that. And he will rock your world. Thank you, Lord, for your work in, in this church. What a great thing you're doing by your spirit. Just continue to do it. We pray that you'd reach the city of Santa Rosa, that more and more people would be reached for Jesus. Pray these things to you, Father, in, in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. amen. It was a pleasure being with you. Let's stand as we close in worship. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.